Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. We transition from going to returning. Like the winter solstice, there is a moment where the whole earth shifts, the planet turning its North Pole back toward the sun. We cannot feel this, but many of the biggest changes in nature, in life, go unnoticed. They happen without the moment ever being named. Jedediah Jenkins, Mother Nature. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm recapping the books I read in January. It's not too late to join Annie's five-star books on Instagram. For $50 a year, you can become a part of my bookish community online. Through the private Instagram account, you'll get access to my book reviews, backlist, and frontlist titles. I'll host monthly Instagram lives, hop on stories to chat books, and occasionally even share about the books I start but never finish. If you follow me personally on Instagram, you've seen my reviews for years, and of course, From the Front Porch listeners will always have access to these free monthly reading recap episodes. The private Instagram is just a place where I get to be more detailed with my reviews, and five-star book club members can also choose if they want to receive my five-star reads each month in the mail from the bookshelf. For more information or to sign up for our 2024 group, visit anniebjoneswrites.com forward slash five star dash book dash club. There's also a link in the show notes. I'd love to have you following along this year. Now back to the show. Hello, everybody. We finished the first reading month of the year and the first month of the year. I feel like I'm an outlier, but I really love January. And I think Olivia, Aaron, and I even talk a little bit on our upcoming new release roundup episode, just the different rhythms that winter has for us at the bookshelf after the excitement and the fast-paced chaos of quarter four. Quarter one always just feels like a deep breath. Like I can feel myself releasing the tension in my shoulders. And even though January is not without its drama, we've already had to be closed a couple of days for weather. You know, multiple of our staff members have battled sickness and illness, I'm sure just like all of you. And we've had really cold temperatures, although not nearly as cold, I think, as many of our listeners have experienced. So it's been like a mixed bag of a month. And yet it still feels like, I don't know, it feels like an easier month, or at least a month where we breathe and rest a little easier than in November and December. So I really love this time of year. And I love this time of year for my reading life. And I think this month in particular, I read a nice, a nice mix of books that I just wanted to read because I picked them up or books that I was reading for upcoming store events, upcoming shelf subscriptions. Um, But it felt like a nice, I never felt like all of it was bookshelf work and all of it was personal. It was a nice diverse mix. So I'm really grateful to kick off the reading month in this way. And I hope it means good things for my reading life in 2024. The first book I read in the new year was a book I picked up actually while we were celebrating Christmas with Jordan's family up in Alabama. We stopped at Auburn Oil Company 
booksellers or bookstore in Auburn, Alabama. It's a store I've been to a couple of times through various visits with Jordan's family. It's a little bookstore that I really like. And they had a couple of books that I picked up there. Uh, But one of them was Mother Nature. This is by Jedediah Jenkins. And I had never read Jedediah Jenkins before. He wrote a book called To Shake the Sleeping Self that I think was relatively popular, especially maybe I had seen it. I don't know. Maybe I'd seen it on Instagram, Um, but he was not an author I was super familiar with, but I kept seeing this pop up a few different places and maybe not in my normal bookstagram wanderings, but in a couple of unusual places. So when I saw it on the shelf at this bookstore, it felt it felt serendipitous, which is what I'm always looking for when I go out of town and visit independent bookstores. I want to buy something and I try to buy something at every indie bookstore I visit, but I also want to be smart about what I buy because I own a bookstore. <laughs> so it's, it's a conundrum. Um, but this book felt like, oh, okay, it's kind of calling to me from the shelf. It's one I've been interested in and here it is on display. And so I picked it up. This is a memoir about Jedediah and his mother, Barbara. There was a period in time where I felt like I was really keeping my eyes peeled and open for mother-son stories. Um, I feel like we get a lot of mother-daughter stories, but we don't always get mother-son memoirs or mother-son books. I think we get a lot of father-son. But anyway, so I was keeping my eyes peeled for those, and this certainly would qualify. Jedediah is a member of the LGBTQ community, and his mother is a deeply religious, I would say, evangelical Christian, and he's really close with his mom. Um, His parents divorced when he was, I believe, a little bit younger, and he was essentially raised by his mom, and he still keeps in touch with his dad. They're not estranged or anything like that, but he talks about and he writes about in this book how he loves his mom, he adores his mom, was primarily raised by her, and yet there's this huge part of his identity that he really kept in the closet for years. He stayed in the closet and didn't come out to his mom. And then when he finally did come out to her, her reaction was not celebratory or welcoming or inviting. It was one of concern because of her religious beliefs. And that would probably be interesting enough on its own, but I think why I was drawn to this memoir in particular is for two reasons. Um, one is that this is a travel story. This is a travel memoir. Barbara and her now ex-husband, um, Jedediah Jenkins' parents, participated in and and really did alone this walk across America. And they were featured in National Geographic. They wrote books. They were featured in articles um, back in like the 70s where they literally walked across the country. And so Jedediah wanted to recreate or or follow in his parents' footsteps, particularly from, I believe, New Orleans out to the West Coast. And so he thought this could be a way that he and his mom could bond. He had discovered over the years that one way they could keep their relationship intact was through travel. And so it was partly a travel book. And so I, I found that premise really interesting and and also just the idea of like retracing the steps of your parents and doing something that they had done in their past lives and and celebrating that and honoring that. So that was intriguing to me. And then the other reason I was kind of intrigued is because I really see a movement online um about, you know, boundary setting and making sure we remove toxic people from our lives and and there are um there are some 
parts of that movement or the, those ideas that I really agree with. Um, I believe in boundary setting. I believe in being in careful relationship with people. Um, I believe in guarding your heart. I'm laughing because I think feel like that's a phrase from The Bachelor. Um, but I I like the idea of being careful with who you share yourself with. Um, but perhaps it's because of my own um, Christian worldview. I also really hesitate um, I really struggle with who do you let walk out of your life? Who are you willingly estranged from? And who do you continue in relationship with and why? Uh, why do you set those boundaries? When do you set those boundaries? And so this idea that Jedediah Jenkins has to really protect himself from his relationship with his mom, from his mom, that he really has to guard this part of his identity from his mother, but also that he does not want to be estranged from her, that he really does love her and she really does love him. And so how can these two people who really do love each other, but also deeply, deeply disagree with each other, how can they maintain relationship? And I, I just think this is interesting. And I think in what could potentially be another contentious, divisive election year where we're constantly asking ourselves, like, who do we maintain friendship with? Who do we maintain contact with? Um, and this is something I think about all the time because I myself have lost friendships and I've I've lost relationships because of my own boundaries. And so I don't know. I'm This is something I'm constantly thinking about. And I think Jedediah Jenkins really does a beautiful, his writing is really beautiful, a really beautiful way of unpacking all of these things in a relatively short book, all revolving around. I mean, I suppose this could have just been a memoir where he talks about his mom and, and their relationship. But because of the travel component, that is really what propels the book. Um, so it's not just think PC. It's not just something that easily could have been, you know, a New York Times editorial or a column in The Atlantic. Instead, there's story here about traveling across America, about watching your parent grow older, um, about trying to investigate who they were when they were younger and and what they were like when they were idealistic and uh, mission-driven. And so anyway, I just really wound up loving this book and I particularly loved reading it when I read it. I think it's a really great winter book. I feel like Jedediah and his mother took this road trip far later in the year, um, perhaps even during the summer. But for some reason, I just, the book even opens with kind of a flashback set over New Year's Eve. And so I just read it around that same time. And it was just a quiet way to enter the new year and to really think about our relationships and and who we who we share our lives with and what what of our lives we share with people. Anyway, there's a lot here in this book. Um, it's part, you know, Travels with Charlie, where it's a travel book and it's part uh, mother-son memoir. And I think it's a really well done one. There were parts where I thought he could have gone deeper or he could have maybe given us a little bit more. But I almost like the protective nature of this book where he's sharing a lot, but he's also not sharing some things, uh, which I actually really respect. So anyway, this is Mother Nature by Jedediah Jenkins. I may read some of his other books, but if you're like me and you've never read him before, I think this is a fine place to start and a really interesting book to kick off the year with. So that's Mother Nature by Jedediah Jenkins. Then I read what I would consider an equally an equally quiet book, but this one a novel called Dixon Descending. This is by Karen Outen. It releases on February 6th, so it releases in just a couple weeks. I picked this one up because my rep, uh, I think it was a Penguin Random House rep, really sold this one to me as, you know, an adventure story, um, an adventure story on Mount Everest about two Black men attempting to summit Everest. 
And it is it is those things. Uh, but I found it also to be a really character-driven book about two brothers. And the book has a couple of different timelines. I was never confused by them. But there's Dixon, who is the younger brother. Dixon and Nate are the two brothers. Dixon is the younger brother. He's our main protagonist. And his older brother, Nate, really tries to convince him to um, be one of the first Black American men to summit Mount Everest and that this is something that they can tackle together. And Dixon is an athlete. He's a former runner. He was eliminated from the Olympic trials uh, during a run where he was like two tenths of a second shy of being in the Olympics. And you can feel that devastation. Shortly after reading this, Jordan and I went and saw the Iron Claw in theaters, which, wow, what a gut punch of a movie. But um, in that movie, one of the brothers does not get to compete in the Olympics because of um, Jimmy Carter's uh, decision and America's decision to not participate in the Olympics that year. And so you just can feel this devastation of people who have worked so hard and built their lives around this once in a lifetime event and what happens when that event doesn't happen. And so what happens with Dixon is that he has all of this athletic ambition, but he doesn't know where to put it. And he winds up becoming a school psychologist. And the book takes place both pre- Everest, where you see Nate come and and plead with Dixon and convince him to do this to do this monumental thing. Then we get glimpses of Everest and summiting Everest and climbing Mount Everest. And then we also get post Everest. So those are kind of the three timelines. And that Everest portion is much smaller, I think, than the rest of the book. And I found those parts to be really interesting. I knew very little. I think, weirdly, back in the day, I may have seen an Everest documentary in IMAX (laughs) for some reason. I feel like I just saw that in high school or something. Um, And so those parts were really compelling to me and really interesting. It made me want to watch a lot of um, Everest documentaries. But the bulk of the book is really pre-Everest and then post-Everest. And Really, I think we're supposed to read this book as, yes, an adventure story, and and I think fans of Peter Heller uh, might enjoy this one, but also just who is Dixon? Who is this character? And why? What is his motivation? Why does he agree to summit? What is his relationship like with his brother? What is his relationship like with his work? He's a school psychologist, um, and he has really wonderful, loving relationships with his students. And in particular, a student named Marcus. Um, And how does does Everest affect his relationship with these kids? Um, All of that is really interesting. There's actually a lot going on in this novel that I think is really thoughtful. And um, she manages to balance, I think, several different emotional through lines throughout the book. Um, This is her debut. I really, really liked it. Um, I can't really name you anything else like it. The Peter Heller is the best comp. And yet it doesn't feel entirely accurate because um, I'm not sure we've talked a lot um, in store. And then I think on some upcoming podcast episodes, we've talked a little bit about like, is this an Olivia book? Because there's parts of it that really sound like an Olivia book. Um, And maybe I do think there are parts of it that she would really enjoy and she might enjoy the whole thing. Um, But it doesn't immediately strike me as an Olivia Annie crossover, just because of the quiet nature of it. You think it's going to be really propulsive and bombastic and tense. You really think it's going to be tense. And there are moments of that. um, But it is mostly a quiet book about brothers, I think. So that is Dixon Descending by Karen Outen, uh, out on February 6th.
Then I read Family Family by Lori Frankel. Um, really, one of the main reasons I was able to read so much this month was because we were without power and therefore the bookstore was closed and I couldn't really go anywhere. The weather was not great and I was without power for 10 hours. And so I read three books. <laughs> in one day. Um, and that is really part of the reason that I was even able to read um, anything this month, because despite being a quiet month, there, it did feel like there was quite a lot to do. So on my power outage day, I read Family Family. Lori Frankel is an author who I enjoy, though I have not read all of her books. So I've read This Is How It Always Is, which was her, I don't know if that was her debut, but it was her first book that I came across Lori Frankel. And I believe it was chosen as a as a celebrity book club book when it first released. And she based it, she didn't, it's not really based on Lori Frankel's family story, but it is a little bit about trans issues and particularly uh, raising a trans child and uh, what that experience might be like. Um, and I remember it just opening my eyes uh, to that population when it released, mm, Gosh, I want to say 2017. Mm, it may have even been before that. Um, so I was curious about Family Family because it seemed like uh, this was a bit of return to form for Lori Frankel in that um, this is another book that is maybe loosely inspired by her own family experience. This book is about adoption and her husband adopted their daughter. And she brings some of those personal feelings, I think, to this book. This is a hefty book in terms of length. Like it's a long book. Um, and I had had it on my shelf and really did want to read it, but hesitated because of its length, which you've heard me talk about before. I'm not afraid. I promise I'm not afraid of big books. I'm really not. But when you're a bookseller, I do think you realize how valuable time is and you're running a business and you're doing all these other things. And so a thick book like that can delay you <laughs> uh, a week and prevent you from reading a lot. But that's why I was grateful for, for really, I read this surprisingly in, in about one sitting uh, that day that we didn't have power. So this is about India Allwood. She is a mother who is also an actress and a kind of a Hollywood star who has this great TV show. I almost pictured like a Game of Thrones-esque TV show. And she's just uh, doing press for a new movie that she's in that is about a woman who gives up her children for adoption, um, which is not even the phrase that is used over and over again in this book. Uh, over and over again, Frankel makes the point that she places her children for adoption. So anyway, India Allwood, uh, the, her character places her children for adoption. And then as India Allwood, the actress, is giving interviews for this book she, or for this movie, she makes a couple of real PR blunders. And she kind of <laughs> goofs all over herself, like just repeatedly. Um, she's She says things that do not come across well in print. And she makes comments about adoption that immediately get her in trouble with various uh, parts of of that group, whether it's adoptees or um, or adoptive parents or what have you. Anyway, she just gets, she just continues to kind of get in trouble for these things that she said. And so her children who are adopted uh, take it upon themselves to 
try to solve this for her. The story unspools in the most madcap, delightful of ways. There are lots of characters in this book. It reminded me a lot of The Sweet Spot by Amy Popel. Um, Amy Popel is who I kept thinking of as I read this book. I just thought, oh my gosh, like all of these characters, all of them coming together. Um, I could very much see this book as a movie. It is a book about a movie and I could see it becoming a movie. The characters are so interesting. Even the, there are lots of, uh, minor, M-I-N-O-R, like minor characters, children, teens, all of whom are interesting and funny and quirky. They're not too precocious or, or obnoxious. And then all the while, I think Lori Frankel is trying to get us to think about how we think about adoption. I have dear, dear friends who are adoptive parents. I'd be so curious uh, what they would think about this book. This is very much Jody Picoult's book club fodder, you know what I mean? Like these, this is the kind of book you want to read in a book club so that you can discuss it with your friends. I immediately finished it and thought, well, who can I talk about this with? And I'm talking about it with you. I don't need to read a book that in which I agree with every character, with everything they say. In fact, I, I prefer not to. Like I, I like to read books about complicated people who have complicated feelings. Um, those are the kinds of books that make me think. Those are the kinds of books that are interesting. Also, those are the kinds of people I spend my time with. Like none of us is perfect. We're all thinking through things and trying to figure out what we think and how we feel about things in real time. Um, and so I found all of these characters to be deeply refreshing and interesting. And this is the kind of book that you'll want to read in a book club. This is a new release. It just came out um, came out this week. Um, I think if you liked This Is How It Always Is, which if you haven't read that, I do think, you know, it's been a minute since I've since I've read it. Um, so I'm not sure what it would look like in 2024, but I recall absolutely loving it. I think four or five stars easily for me uh, when it released. And um, this was, I think this was four, four and a half stars for me. I really like this one. I suspect I'll be thinking about it for a while. Um, that is Family Family by Lori Frankel. Then I picked up Grief is for People. This is by Sloane Crosley. It's the new book that releases February 27th. So you've got some time to think about this one. Um, I love Sloane Crosley. If you have never read her, please, please, please do yourself a favor. Um, she has read, um, she has written uh, a couple of essay collections. I was told there to be cake and look alive out there. Both just excellent, very memorable titles. And then she's written a couple of works of fiction, including Cult Classic and The Clasp. I needed to look up before I recorded, probably. She may have written other things. It feels like I've read all the things. Uh, it feels like I've done a pretty good job of almost being a completionist in terms of Sloan Crosley. So I was curious about this one. Um, I was... I definitely requested this from my publisher rep, but I admit I moved it to the top of my stack after I saw, I believe it was the December issue, but it may have been the November issue of Vanity Fair featured a piece about Greta Gerwig, like a profile on Greta Gerwig and Sloan Crosley wrote it. Um, I just love, I love when stuff like that happens when you see authors you love pop up in, in places you might not expect. So anyway, after reading the Greta Gerwig profile, I immediately was like, oh, I actually have her book on the top of my stack. So I moved it and read it and I loved it. This is Sloane Crosley's entrance into the grief genre, the grief memoir genre. She references Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking a lot in this book. Um, and I think that's because Sloane Crosley knows when you write a book about grief, it's kind of in a category. It's almost its own genre in the memoir, in the memoir section. Um, and 
certainly the year of magical thinking is, I think, in the Mount Rushmore of those books. Sloane Crosley opens with this story about her apartment in New York being burglarized. Uh, One day she arrives home and she realizes someone has come in through her window and stolen all of her jewelry. And some of the jewelry was... um, was expensive jewelry, um, but really, of course, it's the violation of the space itself and um, the taking of some of her more nostalgic and sentimental pieces. And so she immediately calls her best friend, Russell, um, who is uh, an older older than she is, an older gentleman who used to be her boss in publishing. They both work as publicists or as I think in Sloan Crosley's case, maybe a publicist assistant in publishing. So she calls Russell and she kind of tells him and um, you realize just through this storytelling what good friends they are. And then, and and you would know this from the blurb, but you know, it depends on how much you want to know when you go into reading a book. But really what Sloan Crosley is setting up is that one month after her apartment was burglarized, uh, her best friend, Russell, um, died from suicide. And this book then deals a lot. And obviously there are content warnings around suicide, suicidal ideation, depression. Though I I will say this, I'm not a particularly sensitive reader, as you all know, um, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time. Um, I found this book just deeply moving and also deeply funny. Sloan Crosley is a very funny writer. Um, and she writes, it's just such a wonderful tribute to a friend. So even more, it is a grief memoir, um, but it's also a book about friendship. And it's kind of what it's kind of a look into what we're willing to forgive out of our friends and what brings us what makes us close to people and what happens when someone you love dies unceremoniously and you don't get to say goodbye and where does the closure come from and I just couldn't get over this book. So it's a grief memoir. It's a friendship memoir. It's also, I, I'd be remiss to not say this, it's it's a New York book. Uh, it's very much a tribute to New York, partly because a lot about her apartment being broken into and what it's like to to live in New York. And she's a single woman. And she just writes so much about like commuting and, and going back and forth to work and taking lunches and working in publishing. It's it's very much a book about publishing. I immediately kind of Googled because I I've had forgotten that Sloan Crosley worked in publishing before she became a writer herself. It's just, it's outstanding. It's a it's an astounding work of nonfiction. I love well done memoirs. They're not always well done. This one is. Um and I, I really loved it. I suspect you all will too. Um, as I said, very moving. Um, there is no denying that this is a sad book, but it's also very funny and sweet. Um, and based on based on the profile that Sloane Crosley has done about Russell, based on um, based on her depictions and descriptions of him, I am sure he would roll his eyes and also be delighted at this thing that she's created really in tribute to their, to their friendship. And I will also say this, she's not afraid of the complications of relationship and when our friends aren't perfect. And, um, I appreciated that as well. She doesn't shy away from, you know, we're not all great all of the time. And I like a book that acknowledges that. So this is Grief is for People by Sloane Crosley. It is out on February 27th. Maybe the key to a good reading month is just not reading as many books um, because I 
finished up the month with Come and Get It. This is by Kylie Reed. It releases next week on January 30th. So next Tuesday, if you're listening to this in real time. I loved Kylie Reed's first book, Such a Fun Age. I remember exactly where I was when I was reading it. I was in an airport. Um, I am pretty sure I was traveling overseas, I think. And so I left. I just said I remembered exactly where I was. And you're all like, do you really know? Because you don't even know if you were traveling <laughs> traveling overseas. Nevertheless, I'm pretty sure I left my ARC in the airport. Um, I do that on purpose sometimes to, you know, share the wealth. It's like an imaginary little free library. <laughs> library. So I read Such a Fun Age in an airport and absolutely loved it, was blown away, thought it was such <laughs> thought it was such a fun book about really complicated things, um, about class and race. And guess what? She's done it again. Come and Get It is a fantastic, I think, uh, fun, seemingly frothy book about non-frothy things. And I think that takes real skill uh, to be able to write well about things that are complicated, um, but also to be able to write them in a way that is satire and is funny. I was thinking a lot about Yellowface when I read this book. I think there is some crossover there, although Kylie Reed is not dealing with publishing here. She's dealing with academia, but she is very much taking those issues she addressed in such a fun age and bringing them here um, and setting it on a campus. So the book is set on the University of Arkansas campus. So I also like a book that is set in the South, even though I have not spent a lot of time in Arkansas. I have family that lives there. And so it is interesting and good friends that live there. So it's very fun to read a book where you're like, oh, yes, I know this setting. I am familiar with this. And so it's a campus book. It's a campus novel. Um, but with Kylie Reed's unique twist uh, where Agatha is a researcher and writer who is on campus to be like a visiting professor. And then she also is doing research for her next book. And at first that research is about um, weddings. And we don't really know much more than that. We just know that she's researching weddings. And so she has been given permission to interview some of the students in this dorm. And the dorm RA is a young woman named Millie, who is back on campus after taking a year off to take care of her sick mother. And she is back and trying to save money for her first home. So already we get some issues of class dynamics here. Um, and then Millie is one of the few Black students in this particular dorm on the University of uh, Arkansas campus. And then the co-eds that Agatha interviews, man, they are just pitch perfect. Almost caricatures <laughs> of college co-eds, Southern college co-eds. But at the same time, they're not. I mean, I, I say they're almost caricatures because they're just so spot on. But... They're also really interesting young women. Um, I will say this. I did not read, I did not receive an ARC of this book, which did irritate me <laughs> because I loved, I loved such a fun age so much. And I felt like I was very clear about my love and appreciation for that book. And so I did not receive a physical copy of this. So I downloaded it on audiobook in audiobook format where it is narrated by Nicole Lewis. Let me tell you who deserves an award for audiobook narration for Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. It is Nicole Lewis. She is doing the most. She's doing all the accents, but it's never overkill. Like instead, it like I was laughing, I was smiling. 
I can't wait to get my, my hands on a physical copy because I do want to see how Kylie Reed wrote the Southern accent um, because Nicole Lewis leaned in and did a beautiful job. Um, I think part of my enjoyment from this book definitely came from the audiobook. Um, so if you're considering, if you're an audiobook listener and you were considering this one, I would encourage you to do so. I really liked the audiobook narration. Um, anyway, if you liked Such a Fun Age, enjoy. I I was nervous. I'm always nervous about a sophomore book. And I felt like I hadn't seen a ton of buzz about this. It may just be because it, it's not out yet. But I really liked it. I read it and thought, yeah, if you liked the first book, if you liked her first book, you would certainly enjoy this. There's no, um, it's a very different plot. She's writing about a very different part of the country. I think that's what's really interesting. Uh, she's writing about a very different part of the country from um, the one in the first book. She's writing about a very different class of people. If you did not read Such a Fun Age, you can certainly start here. Um, but you can tell what Kylie Reed likes writing about. And then she plays with it in different places. And just keep in mind, this is a campus novel. If you love reading books set in academia or on a campus, you will like this book. It's not the typical campus novel because I can't even tell you the last time I read a campus novel that was set somewhere other than New England. <laughs> so kudos to Kylie Reed for representing the South a little bit um, and for giving Southerners an interesting story and a, and a complicated one about, um, about relationships on a college campus and the tensions that are there that have to do with race and class and identity while also just being a wildly entertaining story. This book is wildly entertaining and I think you will like it particularly if you are a Southerner, but even if you are not. So those are the books I read in January. As usual with our reading recap episodes, we are offering a reading recap bundle for the month. Our January reading recap bundle is $78 and includes three hardback books, Mother Nature, Family Family, and Come and Get It. You can find more details and the January bundle online through the link in our show notes, or you can just go to bookshelfthomasville.com and type today's episode number, that's 461, into the search bar. Again, the reading recap includes Mother Nature, that's the memoir, Family Family, the new novel by uh, Lori Frankel, and Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. Um, look, these are all really great books. This was a really good reading month for me. I hope it was for you too. Um, and I hope it has set the bar for the rest of 2024. This week, I'm reading Homestead by Melinda Moustakis. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's podcast episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cami Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacy Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Ari Johnson, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. 
If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and helps us reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.